Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today, my good friend and co-pastor, Dan Fisher, will be bringing the message. It's a message that he preached recently in the weeks leading up to our Christmas celebration and Christmas break. But it's deep in the thought processes, and it's something that we really must consider. I'm going to read as a scripture text, as Dan will be preaching, a verse from Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. And it says this, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Well, we know that as Christians, we seek peace with all men. But notice the Scripture says there are cases where it might not be possible. Being a Christian does not mean conforming towards wickedness or accepting the ungodliness of the lost world as right. No, according to the Word of God, there is right and there is wrong, and you cannot compromise the truth for error. So as Christians, we aren't supposed to have peace at all costs. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians 5, there are times where not only are we to not be a part of the unfruitful works of darkness, but we are actually supposed to actively expose it and resist it. Think deeply of the day and age in which we now find ourselves as Christians in America as you listen to part one of Dan's message called Irreconcilable. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. I want to begin a message today that is intentionally in two parts. The first part is entitled Irreconcilable. The second part is entitled Irrevocable. Now the Irrevocable will have a question mark behind it but we'll not get there today. I want to begin by talking about irreconcilable. What does that mean? Since November the 3rd, I think all of us have come to the very difficult but clear understanding that our culture is deeply divided. Now, we already knew that, right? I mean, we all knew that we were deeply divided. But I don't think any of us probably wanted to accept, though we suspected, that we were as divided as we are. So much so that one side is willing to lie, cheat, steal, and do everything that is possible, at least in my opinion, to pull off a win for their side. And I think what happened on November the 3rd and what is been happening in the days since is a very, very brutal reminder to us of just where we are in America today. I think our problems are incredibly deep, and I don't think that we can just wave a prayer over them and hope they're going to get better, because I don't think, frankly, they will. Now, it could be that we are 
in the beginnings of the very strong discipline of the Lord. I mean, we may be. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that sometimes God will allow a country to choose evil leadership as a way of punishing them. And this could be what is happening to us. It's kind of odd that we've never seen as many people vote for what is right and lose in American history. We've never seen that. Now, obviously, the verdict is still out on the election. I'm not sure that the president's team is going to be able to produce the kind of evidence that a Supreme Court will want and will take as a... um, a force for them to step in and do something to shift the election results as we now have them. It appears to me that the clock is running out on them, regardless of the kind of evidence that they will be able to assemble. Who knows what's going to happen? But regardless, regardless, let's just say for a moment that for those of us who are conservatives, that the president's team was not only able to put forth that kind of evidence, but the Supreme Court would be forced to step in and say, hey, we're going to have to throw out some votes in some of these key states. And it tipped the election to the point that there is no decided electoral college winner. And then it was forced into the House of Representatives where every state gets one vote. Now, I kind of think I know how that will turn out if it goes that way. But even if it did, and President Trump received a second term, all hell will break loose. I'm fearful that maybe the Supreme Court might choose not to hear the case just because of that which would be a terrible basis upon which to make their decision just because we don't want cities to burn. I'm telling you, we are incredibly divided, more than I would have ever thought I would live to see in my lifetime. So in the midst of that, with that as a reality, how should Christians think? Uh, How should we go forward Understanding the kind of government that most of us have lived under most of our lives. For many of us, we revere our framers. We, we believe that the form of government that we were given, at least initially, is superior to all other kinds of government that have been tried through the centuries. It's provided the greatest amount of liberty and prosperity, more than likely of any people who have ever lived. A few other countries have played around with a republic, even Rome did. But typically, republics, being as fragile as they are, tend to devolve into something terrible because republics and keeping that republic, you see, that's, they're, they're contingent on the involvement of the people. And I will tell you that the church, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, was asleep at the wheel. Now, I don't know whether the church is asleep at the wheel today. I suspect still a large portion of it is. Although I'm fearful that much of the church is not necessarily asleep at the wheel. It is simply embraced wrong thinking. You have very well-known pastors 
who came out just a few days before the election, as you know, people like John Piper and Tim Keller and others who said that we can't advise Christians to vote for either candidate because President Trump is arrogant and Biden is a socialist. Well, that seems to me to be comparing apples and monkey ranches. I I don't know about you. I mean, granted, I don't want an arrogant president, but I'd much rather have an arrogant president who believes in liberty than a socialist. The, uh, the generation of Americans in the 1770s understood their situation, kind of like the sons of Issachar. They understood the times. They knew what they had to do. It appears to me that the citizens in Germany in the 1930s didn't. So in our early beginnings in 1770, you see the Americans, primarily led by Christians, kind of make preparations and they were ready to defend what is right. You see the Christian church in Germany in the 1930s folding into what became the Nazis, and we know what happened there. So I believe it's vital for American Christians to begin to think properly about where we are now and where we need to go. Because I am convinced we cannot continue where we are now. We cannot every four years try to get our guy in to try to hold back the barbarian hordes while every four years they try to get their guy in to force feed stuff down our throats that we don't agree with. This is, this is, not, this is not tenable. I mean, there's been times in America where we've disagreed We battle back and forth and we argue and we debate, but never over things that we disagree about now. I mean, we've disagreed about tax policy. We've disagreed about the space program. We've disagreed about how to carry out foreign policy. We've debated those things back and forth over the decades. But today we're disagreeing over the most basic of issues, the very basic issues that will determine whether or not you and I and certainly our children and our grandchildren will have basic liberties. Now, I realize that we're not a huge congregation. On a good Sunday, we'll have a little over 400 people given our uh, presence in social media. Maybe you can double or triple that over a week's time. But that's still relatively small compared to the masses out there and the mega churches and all of that. But you know, Paul nor I can control what other pastors and other churches do. We try to be as good of an encouragement as we can possibly be. We're going to Georgia in the middle of December to try to to do that in Georgia. But The verdict is out as to how much impact we can have with other pastors and their congregations. But we can have a direct input here. And so this thinking has to start somewhere. I'm not claiming that it's original with me. I'm not suggesting that we are the beachhead for all truth. But I want us to be a beachhead, don't you? I want us to be a stronghold for truth. 
I think that we're going to begin to have to have some very difficult discussions. And I think the discussions are ones in which we probably could not have even entered five years ago. So in this message with this week and next week, I'm going to present some things to you that I will admit to you that 10 to 15 years ago, I probably was not thinking. Now, my wife says I've not been thinking for a whole lot longer than that. But I'm talking about, I wasn't thinking about these things. But times have changed. The situation is very, very different. And it's not just different. I believe it's critical. So we have to have a biblical backdrop as we move forward and maybe enter for what mo- for most of us, will be uncharted territory. So I want to begin today in talking about this concept of being irreconcilable. Because I personally believe that America is irreconcilably divided. Now that is a big statement, and that's not a fun thing to say. What does it mean when I say that we are irreconcilably? You realize irreconcilable is a very big word. Well, it looks like that. But it could look far worse than that. And I believe that we have reached a place where it is impossible to breach the gap. Now, I want to present this to you. I want to make this argument. I want to begin with a definition of the word irreconcilable. You know the definition, but I think it's important for this entire message to define it. Irreconcilable. Ideas, facts, or statements representing findings or points of view that are so different from each other that they cannot be made compatible. Ideas, findings, points of view that are so different from each other that they cannot be made compatible. Cannot be made compatible. It doesn't mean that both sides have to be mean-spirited, although there's plenty of that. It's that the ideas are so divergent, there is no way to make them compatible. Someone, I believe, has to begin to say these things. And I believe that I'm one of the ones who needs to begin to say them. So let's begin with this concept that a lot of people have that I believe is a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. Because a lot of people say, well, aren't Christians supposed to be at peace with everyone? I mean, isn't that our job as Christians? We're to be reconciled to everyone. It is true that Jesus said in his great sermon on the mount, Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Every one of us should be a peacemaker. We should have as a goal to try to make peace with everyone. No question about it. 
Paul says to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. We should pursue, he says, not just have a heart of peacemaking. We should pursue peace. I believe that we've been doing that. The entire time that I was in the legislature, it became obvious to me that even in a small microcosm, even in the conservative state of Oklahoma, there was little to no common ground with the other party. Now, we even have a stronger majority, we meaning conservatives, we even have a stronger majority now than when I was there. And so Republicans had enough votes to do whatever we wanted to do. Oddly enough, we didn't do the things we said we were going to do when we were campaigning to get there. We have this massive supermajority, and it's even larger now, and yet Republicans do less of what they promised to do than when they were in a minority and fought like wild animals trying to do what was right. It's an odd thing. So we have a sad situation in our own legislature, in our own state. But I found while I was there that the left, the other side of the aisle, there was no common ground. I was visiting with the minority leader one day who was a pretty nice enough guy. Scott sat down beside me at my desk and I said, Scott, I've just got to ask you. You seem to be a born-again believer. By everything that I hear you say, you claim to be a Christian for sure. How is it that you can be part of a party that will do everything it can do to keep the murder of preborn babies occurring? Without even debating me on that issue, he looked straight at me and he said, Well, how is it that you, a Christian, can be part of a party that won't help feed the poor? Well, first of all, we do help feed the poor. But how do you compare murdering preborn children to feeding the poor? Now, feeding the poor is a task that Christians ought to be engaged in. But I can hardly even believe that someone with the same breath of air could compare the two. And it became obvious to me then what I had suspected was really true, that we're from different universes. I mean, it's just, it's it's a different, it's a whole different way of seeing the world, comparing feeding the hungry to murdering preborn babies. What do you, what do you have to disconnect in your mind to equate those two? (laughs) Somebody said oxygen. (laughs) So it became obvious to me that though I wanted to pursue peace, there was just no common ground. Didn't have to throw bricks at each other. I didn't have to hurl insults and accusations, but there is just no common ground there. There is no way to bridge that gap.
So yes, Christians ought to be pursuing peace. But the Bible nowhere teaches us that we are to seek peace at all costs. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12, that very same letter to those Roman Christians, verse 18, a verse you're very familiar with, he says, if it is possible. Now notice, he says that because it is not always possible. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But Paul's own life proved that it was not always possible. So much so that Paul ends up being martyred for his faith. Now, I'll tell you, Paul could have piped down, ratcheted back his preaching, and probably been at some level of peace with the Roman Empire. Paul could have probably not stirred up the Jews nearly as much as he did if he had just backed off on the message. But you see, for him, that was a price too high to pay for a peace that wasn't worth having. So peace at all costs is not biblical. I mean, think of it like this. Even though Jesus is the prince of peace, the most clearly articulated truth of that is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. That prophetic verse where the Bible says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government's going to be upon his shoulder, his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and yet he actually says he did not come to bring peace. What? Isn't that a living contradiction? Because in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34, 35, and 36, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, is Jesus saying that it is my desire that people be at each other's throats? It is my hope that people are never at peace and I've come to stir everybody up so I can watch each other try to kill one another. No, of course not. What is he saying? What he is saying is, is if you believe that in this fallen world dominated by sin, that there can be peaceful coexistence between the truth of God and the lie of the devil, you're crazy. I came to speak the truth, and that will never allow peace with the other side. Jesus said, you're either for me, or you're what? Right. And notice the word against me. Now, most people would never identify themselves as against Jesus. Most good, solid, somewhat moral Oklahomans who may not claim to be born-again Christians, but who have a knowledge of who Jesus is, would never identify themselves as against Jesus. But Jesus says, you're either for me or you're completely against me. So Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, did not believe in peace at all costs. 
And most Christians are characterized by the world as being people who ought to be seeking for peace at any price. Sometimes we're even made to feel guilty, aren't we, if we say things that cause strife. And they'll say, well, you shouldn't have said that. Well, now, if we're just causing trouble, then they're right. We shouldn't have said that. But if we're saying something that is true, that needed to be said, and the very truth itself created the division, it should have been said. We should say it. There are some people with whom we cannot reconcile. I don't like that, but it's true. There are just people, there are causes with whom or with which we cannot be at peace. As much as we would like to be, we cannot be. The gap is too irreconcilable. And we as Christians have to begin to think about what are those things that we are unwilling to compromise on even if it causes great division. Because today the Christian church seems to want to be liked at all costs. The whole idea of marketing the gospel, though I realize for some was not ill-motived, it was the idea that the gospel is the most important thing that people are ever going to know and therefore we ought to do our very best to get them to hear that gospel. I get that. But unfortunately, in the process of marketing the gospel, they've tried to make the church and the Jesus of the church so likable to a world that rejects everything of God that the gospel is when watered down to the point that it is incapable of saving anybody. Not, not the gospel they preach. No repentance. No sorrow. No pain. No apology. God just loves you like you are. Well, actually, he doesn't. He only loves us in the beloved. He doesn't love us like we are. Like we are, we're despicable and wicked. Isaiah put it like this, we have unclean lips. It is only in Christ. The sooner we understand this in America and in the church itself, the better positioned we are going to be to begin to take whatever steps could ensure for the future a culture in which our children and our grandchildren can function. Because I'm telling you, the one that we have right now is forever lost. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time for the conclusion of this message, Irreconcilable. Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org 
or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.